Section 6 of Best Dog Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 6, drafted by Vesta Tharp. Buddy Hopkins stood on the rickety front steps of the little house where he lived and tried to make out what was going on in the next block. The performance was so puzzling that he decided to go down and investigate, but on the way to the gate he turned back and puckered his lips into a peremptory whistle. Nothing happened. Nothing ever did happen when he whistled for Spot. So as usual, he went back and peered under the steps. Sure enough, there was the delinquent, ardently fletcherizing an old shoe, over which he regarded his master with affectionate interest. Didn't you hear me whistle? exclaimed Buddy. What kind of dog are you anyway? The question was almost an indelicate one, for when Spot had dragged into the open, it was apparent that his genealogy was, well, rather complicated. He wasn't exactly a spaniel, and he wasn't exactly a... but never mind that. There was one thing he decidedly was. He was the puppiest puppy dog that ever wagged a tail, or blundered about on impossibly big feet, or looked at a boy out of soft, adoring eyes. That was the way he looked at Buddy now, and the boy returned the look in kind as the two young things started for the gate in an inextricable confusion of bare feet and black and white paws. It was not until they reached the cluttered and unkempt front yard of Bean Cottage that Buddy discovered what was happening there. Under the masterful direction of Lizzie Bean, five children were digging a hole in one corner. Lizzie, who by age and temperament was the dominating spirit of the neighborhood, wiped the beads of honest toil from her brow, and hastened to explain. Hello, buddy, she said. We're digging a coal mine. Teacher told us all about it last winter. You just dig and dig till you come up to coal. And there you are. We'll get to it before winter, and then we'll have it right handy here, instead of having to pick up along the tracks. Gee, said buddy, it's great. Lizzie handed up an old tin pail full of dirt to Charlie Stevens, who with great importance lugged it out to the street. Jimmy Rand bent to his task of wielding a broken stove shovel. Thomas Jefferson Johnson, whose color matched his name, pushed his soapbox wagon up for Jimmy to fill. Out in the road, Joey Bean and bow-legged Willie Bean were posted to shovel the dirt into the ditch. Over by the sagging porch, Violet Alice Bean, aged three, sat on the ground scraping out her own private coal mine with a battered tin spoon. Buddy beheld these activities with growing excitement. We're helping Uncle Sam, too, observed Lizzie. You see, getting our own coal will leave that much more for other folks. Ain't it a wonder nobody thought of it before I did? You bet, said Buddy. I'll help you. I'm an awful good digger, I am. And he laid hold of another battered shovel and started for the hole. At its brink, he stopped short with the shock of a sudden inspiration. Gee, he exclaimed, Spot can help, too. Just give him something to bury and he can dig like anything. Lizzie hesitated. There was also impressive cessation of work on the part of Jimmy Rand, and T.J. Johnson dug his black toes into the ground and looked the other way. So say here, listen, bud, said Lizzie. You see this coal mine and we're doing ain't no common job. You see, we're a kind of a club. Yep, put in Charlie Stevens. This is the Army Folks Club. Ain't you got somebody in the Army, kid? demanded Jimmy. If you have, you can pitch in, but if you ain't, you gotta get out, cause them's the rules. You gotta have a Sammy in the army, or you can't get into the club. 
Buddy's pinched little face went suddenly pale under its streaks of dirt, and the shovel slipped from his nervousless grasp. Yes, he knew about their folks. The Bean children had an uncle in France. Charlie Stevens's brother had run away and enlisted. Jimmy's two brothers were with Company G, and even Thomas Jefferson could boast of military connections, for his cousin was in the draft. Buddy gulped hard. If a feller's mother's got killed and he ain't never had nobody but just an old grandmother and grandpop, how can he have folks in the army? He was interrupted by a howl from Violet Alice, and the children turned to behold her eclipsed by a kaleidoscope effect in black and white, which experience enabled them to identify a spot. Out of the fullness of his loving puppy heart, he was insisting on licking her chubby face. Sister Lizzie's indignation had the fierceness of the maternal instinct. Take your dog off of my sister, Buddy Hopkins, she shrieked. Aw, he ain't hurting her, said Buddy. But he moved over to the point of disturbance and captured the active section of it. Then the two little figures trailed dejectedly out of the yard. Every day for a week, the Army Folks Club labored with more or less spasmodic intensity, and every day Buddy and Spot, driven to an exclusive enjoyment of each other's society, became more dependent on this companionship. Perhaps there is no love more enthralling than that which a boy gives to his first dog, unless it is the devotion with which a puppy requites its first master. And in Buddy's case, this warm and wonderful exchange was almost the boy's whole heart life. His grandmother had never loved him. Her daughter's child had been a bitter legacy to her. His grandfather really did care for him. But the shadow of Mrs. Hopkins' antagonism fell always between the two, keeping their affection for each other an unexpressed emotion which left the boy's heart hunger unsatisfied. So on his dog, he lavished all the riches of his childish soul. Instead of a mother's kisses, the puppy's little pink tongue dried his tears that first night when he cried himself to sleep over the coal mine incident. Instead of putting his arms around a motherly neck and sobbing out his troubles, he hugged his dog and found comfort and appeasement in the struggles of the wriggling little body to convey a perfect passion of affection. His dog. The one being in the world that adored him. After his rebuff by the army folks, Buddy avoided the Bean neighborhood with bitter dignity. But on the last day of that eventful week, his curiosity overcame his deeper emotions, and accompanied as usual by Spot, he strolled down in that direction. The club was performing its duties rather perfunctorily by this time, so everybody was unfinedly glad to resume friendly relations with a former esteemed contemporary like Buddy. This prevailing good feeling might have led to his becoming a non-descript member of the club, if something quite unexpected had not happened. It was Lizzie, of course, that silenced the group with a commanding gesture, so that they heard from somewhere in the distance the muffled, measured tread of scores of marching feet with a wild shout of joy. The war folks cast aside their shovels and started for the gate. Down the street they tore Willie Bean, whose personal architecture was a decided handicap, bringing up the rear. It's the soldiers from the train, shouted Charlie. Come on, the Sammies are going up Main Street. On they ran. Breathless and purple and panting, they came to where long lines of husky boys from the great middle west were singing their way through crowds that cheered, that waved and smiled and sometimes sighed, as they went swinging by. Eager, excited, that army folks chased feverishly along beside the troops, who were having this bit of exercise after hours of railroad travel, and who sang as they marched a song which ran. He was just along, lean country gink, 
from way out west where the hop toads wink. He was six feet two in his stocking feet and kept getting thinner the more he'd eat. Hello, kids, called the soldiers. And just at that moment, when the struggling little group was thus brought into the limelight of public attention, Spot, cavorting madly along in an intoxication of joy and gladness, perceived what appeared to him to be a good opening and attempt to negotiate it. Of course, Willie Bean's architecture would have encouraged any puppy to try the same stunt, for as previously remarked, Willie's legs were unmistakably suggestive of a pair of parentheses. But the result was that Willie was catapulted into a sergeant, and that spot monopolized the attention of the entire company for a few hectic moments. Probably this fact was responsible for what happened after the troops had returned to their train, escorted by a large part of the town's population, including Lizzie's and her satellites. Leaning from the windows, the soldier suddenly recognized Spot with shouts of joy. Hey, kid! What's the pup's name? Buddy never knew just why he answered as he looked up into the laughing faces. He didn't say Spot at all. What he piped in his funny treble voice was, Sammy, hand him up here and let him get next to the real thing, called the very sergeant that had been catapulted by Willie. Buddy, entranced by this attention, lifted the wriggling form up to the sergeant's long arms and delightedly watched the hilarious reception of his dog by these heroes of the imagination while from the windows of the train rolled waves of melody. But he was brave as he was thin. When the war broke out, he got right in, unhitched the mule, put the plow away, and then the old folks heard him say, Goodbye, Ma. Goodbye, Pa. Goodbye, Mule, with your old hee-haw. I may not know what the war's about, but you bet by gosh I'll soon find out. Buddy, his lips parted in an ecstasy of excitement, did not notice that the signal had been given and the train was creeping ahead. And oh, my sweetheart, don't you fear. I'll bring you a king for a souvenir. I'll get you a Turk and a Kaiser, too. And that's about all one fellow can do. Faster and faster went the train, its windows crowded with laughing faces, while from car windows and station platform came a medley of cheers and goodbyes. Lizzie Bean waved her long arms and cheered shrilly. The other members of the army folks did likewise, and then, quite suddenly, they fell silent, staring open-mouthed at a familiar little figure which was running, running, his bare legs flying in a futile pursuit of the now swiftly moving train. As they watched, they saw him stop despairingly and throw himself on the ground, face downward. It's Buddy, they exclaimed. Lizzie looked around her sharply. Gee, she said, they've gone off with his dog. The crowd on the platform melted away. Only the club members had noticed a small boy face down in the cinders along the track. And then they approached him with the embarrassed offers of sympathy. Come on, buddy, coaxed Charlie. Spot'll get home all right. They'll let him out down the track. Come along, bud, urged Lizzie, and with supreme generosity she added, Come on and we'll let you help dig. I guess we'll probably find the coal this afternoon. The stricken buddy picked himself up and followed them silently until they reached the bean gate, and then with a shake of the head, he went on home. After supper, he went out to the gate and waited, Peering through the gathering dusk, his ears strained to hear the patter of racing feet. When he went up to the low attic where he slept, his grandfather followed him. What's the matter, buddy? 
the old man asked with awkward tenderness. Buddy buried his head in the pillows. Can't you tell your old granddaddy? They took my dog, sobbed the boy. Who took your dog? If any of them kids is pestering you, your granddaddy will tend to him. The, the soldiers took him. They took him off on the cars. Gosh, said the old man. How did they get your dog, he demanded. And when Buddy, between his sobs, had explained the matter, he patted the shaking shoulders and tried to offer consolation. Never mind, Sonny, he said. Never mind. Tell you what I'll do. I'll get you another dog. I seen one today. He's a regular dog. This one is spot want nothing but a pup anyway. This here one is a real dog. Buddy tried to respond, but gave it up. I don't want no real dog, he sobbed. I just want my puppy. Day after day, Buddy waited, nursing a hope which grew fainter and fainter. One evening, when his grandfather came to supper, the child was in the woodshed getting chips for the kitchen stove, and the old man peered in, his eyes alight, his hands behind his back. What did you guess I brought you, Sonny? He said mysteriously. Buddy looked up, and a sudden radiance flooded his face. My dog, he cried. Yep, the old man said persuasively. I've brought you the nicest little pup you've ever seen and he produced a wriggling little bunch and held it out with a gesture he tried to make confident. But all the swift joy faded from the boy's eyes, and after one glance of preferred substitute, the something just as good as the one and only thing he wanted, he turned away. It's awful good of you, Grandpop, but... His voice broke. I, I don't want nothing but my own dog. The old man helplessly regarded the little creature in his hands. I thought maybe you'd like him, he said but I can take him back. He started to the house, but hesitated, and taking out of his pocket a shabby purse, he slowly extracted a half dollar from its sparse contents. Here, Sonny, he said. Don't say nothing to your grandmother, but here's a half dollar. You light out after supper and take the kids to the movies. But the boy was still sobbing and did not even look up. But he quit, quavered the old man. Take it and go to the show, like a good kid. The shaking fingers pushed the money into Buddy's hands, and the boy looked up to see the wrinkled and weather-beaten old face twitching painfully. Grandpop was crying. The child's sobs were hushed by the wonder of that sight, and he suddenly threw his arms around the old man's neck. I'll be good. It'll, it'll be fine, Grandpop, he declared bravely. An hour later, the entire membership of the Army Folks Club, escorted by the rank outsider, Buddy, sat in the second row of the Empire Moving Picture Palace and prepared for two hours of bliss. First there was a fire in New Jersey, then the wreck of a freight train, an airplane flight, the inevitable picture of soldiers training, and finally a great parade of troops at Camp Dodge in their own state. Here was something doing, as the lines of soldiers swung along, the audience clapped and cheered in the second row spectators sat eagerly forward, all except Buddy. Temporarily, he had forgotten his grief, but now these lines of marching men brought back his sense of loss and loneliness, and he saw the screen through a blinding mist of tears. Surreptitiously, he put up his grimy little hand to wipe them away, when suddenly he felt a violent poke which almost sent him out of his seat. Look, shrieked Lizzie. Buddy, look! Dashing his tears away, Buddy did look, and there beheld cavorting 
awkwardly beside a sergeant whose face was stamped on Buddy's memory, the unmistakable figure of a black and white puppy dog. On he came, straight toward the front of the picture, straight, so it seemed to the breathless boy in the second row, to the arms which he held out with an inarticulate cry, and then in that mysterious way peculiar to moving pictures, Spot with a final wag of his tail vanished from the screen and Buddy's empty arms fell back hopelessly. His grandfather was sitting on the steps when Buddy came home in the grip of renewed sorrow, and after the boy had told what happened and had crept up to bed, the old man stayed there a long time, his pipe held between his teeth with unwanted determination. He was very gentle with Buddy in the days that followed, and a secret understanding grew and deepened between them, but for all that the boy's heart ached with loneliness. The Army Folks Club now regarded him as quite a figure of romance and the invitation to join in the coal mining operation had been renewed with great cordiality. Buddy tried to respond, but he was subject to sudden attacks of emotion which would send him flying home to the haven of the woodshed. One afternoon, he heard his grandmother's shrill tones. Buddy wondered vaguely who could be the object of her wrath, and at the sound of footsteps he shrank back into the darkest corner. And then the miracle happened. For reaching in through the door, his grandfather's big rough hand set down a tumultuous something in black and white that flung itself upon him and fairly devoured him in an insatiable yearning to get closer than the immutable laws of matter would permit. When at last, half suffocated with joy and with puppy caresses, Buddy looked up at the old face, smiling down at him. He could only smile back, dumb with happiness. His grandfather sat down on the chopping block and drawing a paper from his pocket, put on his spectacles with hands which trembled. Guess you didn't think your old granddaddy had much sense anyway, did you? He demanded with ill-concealed pride. Guess you didn't think he'd have gumption enough to write to Camp Dodge and tell the whole United States Army about his boy's pup, did you? Well, that's what he had. And sure enough, the USA done just what I asked them to. They sent your pup back by express this afternoon. And, and I just knocked off work. It's kind of warm working today, anyhow, and brung him home soon as he got here. Buddy was still dumb. He silently hugged the wriggling bunch of love in his arms, but he looked volumes. I will say, proceeded his grandfather, they done the thing up brown. Listen here to what they sent with, with Sammy. Buddy's eyes widened at the name, but he kept on saying nothing. His grandfather, smoothing out the paper, motioned him to come and read. It was a very important-looking document which stated in flawless official language that an honorable discharge had been granted to one Sammy Hopkins of Company A, 10th Regiment, of the National Army. Buddy spelled it out word by word. Then he read it again, and finally he looked up into the beaming face above him, suddenly printed a fierce kiss on the wrinkled cheek, snatched the paper from the threadbare knee where it was spread and dashed out the door. Spot that is to say, Sammy, escaped from his arms and the two raced through the yard, out the front gate, down the street, and interrupted startlingly into the midst of that somewhat languid war folks club, arrived at his great moment. Buddy controlled himself by a violent effort of the will and interrupted the storm of excitement which greeted the reappearance of Sp- that is, Sammy. Read that, he said grandiloquently, and he presented the honorable discharge. Gosh, said the combined masculine membership of the Army Folks Club when the contents of the document had been digested. 
But the female of the species, who always goes the male one better, gathered herself together, considered the situation for a moment, and, in the person of Dictator Lizzie, pronounced these remarkable words. You can get in the army folks now, all right, Buddy Hopkins. And what's more, you've got the only soldier what's actually been in the army, and has come back honorably discharged. So what I say is that we gotta make Sp Sammy the president of this here club. And what I say goes. End of section 6.